Well, would you open your Bibles this morning to John 17? We're going to study um, verses 6 through 26. I'm not sure what it says on your notes. I may, I may have just put it in, through 19 on your notes, but it's through 20, <clears throat> 26. So last Sunday we began this study, and um, it's been called the Great High Priestly Prayer of Jesus. And we listened to how Jesus prayed for God to be glorified through Christ's death. So we studied that last week so that sinners could be reconciled to God. And if you recall, the entire prayer was saturated in praying for God's glory. Just saturated in praying for God's glory through the glory of Christ, through the glory of the cross. Jesus prayed that God would be clearly seen and believed in and adored and obeyed and worshipped for who he is in his character and in his mission. And that was revealed so, so wonderfully and clearly in Christ's sinless life and his substitutionary death. And then I asked you this. I asked us if our prayers were rooted in the prayers for God to be glorified in all things. <clears throat> and as I thought about that, I, I think that was a good question to ask, but I'm concerned that in my charging us to seek that the chief end of our prayers be the glory of God, that's a, that we should seek that the chief end of our prayers be the glory of God. I'm, I'm a little concerned that it could have sounded like you can't come to God in prayer unless you are, your heart is right and you are, and you're ready. Oh Lord, I'm going to pray. And it's all about your glory. Because what if you're not, what if you're not thinking that? What if you're just heartbroken? Um, I was concerned that I, I just would hate for somebody to think that you have to have your act together to come before God in prayer. Uh, so I'm sorry if anyone came across, if that came across that way. When Jesus taught the disciples to pray, did you notice that he did not start off with hallowed be thy name? How did the prayer start? Our Father. Our Father, who, who art in heaven. Guys, this is the Jesus who said, come to me, all who are weary, and weighed down with heavy burdens. And I'll give you rest. We come to him just as we are. And as we lift up our hearts and our needs to him, we will, by the work of the Holy Spirit, by the illumination of scripture, we're going to remember that what we most need is for him to be glorified. What we most need is to see him clearly again because my vision has gotten real blurry because I'm looking more at my circumstances or I'm looking more at my sin or I'm looking more at what I'm wanting or what I don't have more than I'm seeing him clearly. So to be glorified, that's what it means. Lord, I, I most need for you to be glorified. I most need for you to clearly reveal to me again who you are and who I am in you. I most need that. And as he's glorified, isn't that the result? What's the result? Our joy. We used to say that around here a long time ago. We used to say, God's glory, our joy. 
God's glory, our joy. It's, it's, they're, they're very good friends. They're really inseparable. So what we need in every test, every tragedy, and every triumph is for God to be glorified, for eyes to see him ever more clearly, for who he is, not to stop there, but so that we will show the world more clearly who he is. So I hope our prayer time this morning will reflect that. Um, And then this morning, we're going to learn how Jesus prayed for God to be glorified through his disciples. So last week is how he prayed for God to be glorified in him. But this morning, we're going to listen to him pray for us. And, And be mindful that as we're reading this on, this, on, on the pages of our Bibles, Jesus is standing at the right hand of God, praying these things in an ongoing way, even now. So as we listen to Jesus pray for us this morning, I'm going to ask you a few questions. Just as, you, as you're, you're thinking through this text, do you pray for yourself and for others in the way that Jesus prays for us that we're going to see in this text? Are your prayers, do do they conform? Are they patterned along the same lines as the prayers that Jesus prays? Do we desire for ourselves and others the, the desires that Jesus has in this passage for us? How about this? We'll put one out from there. He's going to make a big deal about unity. Do we make a big deal about unity? He's going to mention it four times. His prayer is filled with it. He's about to die. And what's most on his heart is the unity of his people. And you know what? It just hit me. I almost broke down crying. This morning, I thought... I just had this flashback to my dad. And one of the things, one of his last things that he was telling me was, please, you and your sister, please take care of each other. Now that I'm a dad and a grandpa, and my days are much shorter in the future than they have been in the past, (laughs) one of my biggest hopes is that Will and Micah and Joshua and Kelly and Marissa and Alexis and Tatum and Liam and Adeline and Anna to be born in December and oh God, please keep them one. Isn't that, it's just so, so much on the heart of a parent. Is unity a big deal for us here at Sovereign Grace Church in the same way that it's a big deal for Jesus? Is unity a big deal in your marriage? Don't even come through the church doors or to a small group. What about just right at home? Is unity as important to me in my marriage as it is to Christ in his prayers? Is our witness to the world as important to us as it is to Jesus? And you're going to see that in these prayers too. So the main point for the morning is this. God calls our prayers to Jesus to follow the pattern of Jesus' prayers for us. So now, remember what I said. So we're going to go to prayer. And let's go to prayer right where we are, right where our heart is right now. So I've I've hopefully 
you know, asked you some questions is that should, I think it's good to be challenged. I think it's be good for good to be challenged and to ask, where are we? How are we growing? But we're not coming to the Lord because we're perfect in these things. We're coming to the Lord because we need him so much. Amen. And you know what? This is how, this is how, this is how he's standing, right? He's not going, well, good try, but that really wasn't prayer. You know, no, he's saying, come, pray. And in, in fellowship with me, let me shape your prayers for my glory and your joy. So Heavenly Father, we, we do come to you. And we come to you on the basis of Christ's work on the cross for us. Not on the basis of any righteousness of our own, for, because we have none. We have none without you. And God, we're so thankful that you, that you invite a busy people, busy, busy, busy people, so distracted, worried about lots of things, wanting lots of things. Oh, God. And you still say, come. And we would say, well, Lord, we haven't really been thanking you as much as we should be thinking of you this week. We haven't really been thanking you like we should have been thanking you. And you still say, come. Oh, Lord, but, but we've been praying more about us and not more about your glory. And, and you still say, come. Come with your broken, distracted, busy life. And I'll give you rest. God, we do want to grow. We don't want to stay the same. We don't want to leave this room the same. So as we seek you in prayer this morning, would you, would you help us have ears for the prayers that you pray for us so that we could be praying for ourselves and for others the things that are so important to your heart? Thanks for showing us your heart. Thanks for loving us with the same love that you have for Jesus. We ask these things this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. I can tell when I'm more nervous than usual because I get cotton-mouthed. Do you know I get nervous every Sunday? I still, 30 years. You're still nervous 30 years after that? Let's read God's word. John 17, beginning in verse 6. I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me. And they've received them. And have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. For they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine. And I'm glorified in them. And I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you've given me 
that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me, and I've guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So I do not ask you that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I've sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you've sent me. The glory that you've given me, I've given to them, that they may be one even as as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you've given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you've given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I've made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you've loved me may be in them and I in them. So back to our main point. God calls our prayers to Jesus to follow the pattern of Jesus' prayers for us. So let's start in verse 6 and kind of unpack kind of the context of the, there's a transition. You can kind of sense this transition of Jesus saying, I've been with them and I'm about to not be with them. And so verse 6, he begins to pray specifically, verse 6 through 19 is specifically for those 11 disciples. And he says, I've been with them. I've manifested your name to the people who you gave me out of the world. Yours they were and you gave them to me and they've kept your word and Uh, So notice that God gave a people to Jesus to save. I think that's just important. Before the foundations of the world, God in his sovereign grace gave to Jesus a people for him to save. So in other words, believers are treasured gifts from God to Jesus. And I think a lot of times we don't we don't, delight, we don't delight in that the way we should. And we talked about that a little bit last week, so I won't belabor the point. But they, they says they, they kept his word, which you, I don't know, if, you know, sometimes when you're reading the Bible, I'll, I'll come across a thing and, and I just think, man, Jesus, you have a low bar. <laughs> I'm pretty glad you have a low bar when I look in the mirror. But they kept his, they kept your word, well, not perfectly, <laughs> right? 
But in comparison to those who listened to Jesus and then left Jesus, the disciples kept his word pretty well, didn't he? But here's the focus. Here's the focus. The focus is not on how they kept his word, but why they kept his word. That's the whole focus of this passage. They kept his word because Jesus was with them, helping them keep his word. So be thinking about what he's praying. I've been with them. And the reason they keep believing is because I'm giving them grace to keep believing. But I'm about to leave. So what needs to happen to keep them believing? So verse 7, he says, they know everything that you've given me is from you. Jesus, in the John 17 passage, did you notice that it's filled with references to the Father, Son, and Spirit? Would you have thought, wow, the last things that, that, that I would hope that Jesus would be praying about is the Trinity. And just like, golly, is there anything that we can learn from it? Oh my goodness. This is such an awesome experience of what the Trinity means to our day-to-day Christian life and our fellowship and our evangelism. So he's filling it with references to Father, Son, and Spirit. Spirit's not specifically mentioned, but the, the implication is all around it because remember Jesus said, I'm going away and I'm sending you the Spirit. If you want to kind of put it this way, every, the whole Trinity is, is involved in the plan of redemption. But we could say it this way, the Father planned redemption, the Son accomplishes redemption, the Spirit applies redemption. It's kind of their, their roles that they fulfill and how, how all of that works to our godly good as Jesus prays these prayers. So verse 8, he goes on and he says, for I have given them. So look, God's given some things to Jesus. There's a lot of giving going on in this passage. Verse 8 says, so I've given them the words that you gave me. They've received them. They've come to know in truth that I came from you and they've believed that you sent me. Jesus says that he's given them God's name. He's given them Christ's character. That's essentially what he's saying. I've given them your character. I've given them your mission. And they've seen it clearly in me and in my name. Jesus gives us God's word. And through that word, people come to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus is the Messiah, and they have come to believe that. So this is another beautiful place where God's sovereignty and salvation and man's responsibility in salvation. So let's, let's put the word grace in all of it. God's sovereignty in, in salvation through his grace and man's responsibility in salvation because of his grace. Don't we see them both here? Before the foundations of the world, God gave Jesus a people to be saved. Jesus gives us his life, his death, his word. And God uses all of that to open the hearts of his people to follow him in faith. It's a beautiful picture. Verse 9, he says, I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Now that may strike you funny to begin with. I thought, I thought the Bible says Jesus loved, so God so loved the world that he gave his own. Why wouldn't he pray for the world? Well, the, 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 the story's not done yet. Christ is, is saying, I'm praying for these so that through their word, their work, and their witness, the world will come to know Jesus and his love. 
So he's, he's praying for his people so that his people might be the light in the darkness, right? So God loves the world, but there's a means for God to get his love to the world, and that's through the church. Verse 12, he says, while I was with them, I kept them in your name. Not one of them was lost except the one that was never saved. I kept them faithful to your character, your will, and I kept them believing. And then verse 11 says, but I'm no longer in the world. They are in the world, and I'm coming to you to pray for them in my absence. So Jesus was no longer going to be physically present with them. So now let's lean in to see how he prays for us now that he is seated at the right hand of God and the Spirit has come um, to apply the salvation that Jesus gives us, to give us the presence of Christ, the ongoing keeping work of Jesus in our lives. So the first thing he prays for is protection. And I just tried to keep this really simple because I, I have this tendency to want to then elaborate just in the, in the subtitle. I, I, I just, too often I'm making sermons out of subtitles. I'm just so, pray for me. So this is my effort to try to stay a little more focused and a little more simple. But the reason I thought, oh, I just, I'm not satisfied with just that protection because I just wonder, what comes to your mind first? He prays for my protection. So I wish, I mean, really, what, what would, don't say, you don't have to say it out if you don't want, but what comes to your mind first? I know, I'll tell you what, I'm Mr. Unspiritual Man. So when I think, oh, he wants to protect me, I'm thinking, oh man, I hope he'll protect my retirement. Hope he'll protect my health. Man, my esophagus. You know, do you hear some hoarseness in me today? That's, that's not because I'm sick or anything. That's reflux. That's that, that's that constant reminder. I really need Jesus. I just really need Jesus because of what that does to my voice and throat and things. Oh, so, so Lord, will you protect my esophagus? Yeah, yeah. And these aren't evil things or bad things. But is that what Jesus is first talking about? When Jesus, when you, or if I asked you this question, what do you need Jesus to most protect in your life? Maybe that's a better question to ask. What do you need him most to protect? in your life. And, and not just thinking about these 70 years. There's eter This life is a shadow. It's a vapor. What do you need him most to protect when you look at eternity? That's, yeah, it's our souls. Let's, let's see if it's in the text. Good answer. Is it in the text? Yes, it's going to be in the text. So verse 7, Father, keep them, protect them, guard them, hold them fast. We sing all these songs Keep them in your name. Um, he, keep them in the truth that I've given them. Keep them believing and obeying the truth which has been perfectly revealed to them in Christ. Jesus knows that of all the things that we would ask God to protect, that what we most need is for God to protect our faith. Before Tim Keller died, I don't know if you heard in an interview, he's, he said, you know, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for people who come and ask me, how is your, what's happening with your cancer? How can we pray for your cancer? As though the, the cancer was the biggest thing. And Tim Keller said, well, here's where I am with my cancer. But can I ask you to redirect that? Still pray for me? I would love for God to heal my cancer. But what I need him to help me with more 
is my faith. So I want you to think, what's the biggest problem you're facing right now? It seems like I need, I need that, I need the outward circumstances of my problems to be resolved. Well, that? Or I need stronger faith. I think our answer would be faith when we think about it, isn't it? Right? And that's what Jesus is even right now praying for. Lord, I know my people are hurting. I know this one has a broken heart. I know this one had a bad diagnosis. I know this one's having struggles with their finances. I know this marriage is really rattled right now. I, I know this parent's heart is broken. I know, I know, I know. Keep them believing. Keep them believing. Keep them believing in my faithful character. Keep them believing in, in, in his faithfulness. Keep them believing in my promises. Keep them believing in my providence. Those are great ways to protect us, aren't they? And, and he says they, they're, they're about, you pick, put us back here, he's praying for the 11. This is a group of cha-cha men. These are, this is a group of knuckleheads who are about to go prodigal. They're, they're, they're within hours of abandoning me. They're going to be unfaithful. Oh God, protect their faith. They may wander, but would you draw them back? Keep them believing. Isn't that what Jesus said to Simon Peter. This is in Luke 22 when he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you. That he might sift you like wheat. Have you ever felt like your life is just being sifted like wheat? But I've prayed for you that your faith will not fail. Is that just for Peter? Not according to John 17. This is for every believer. Do you know why we don't lose our salvation? Because Jesus ever lives to make intercession for his people. And as long as Jesus is praying for our faith and our salvation, it's impossible for us to be lost. Yeah, amen. Amen. So he's praying for our protection. There's more to it than that. He talks about keep them from the evil one. Keep them from believing his lies. Keep them from believing the condemnation that he loves to dump on us. A condemnation that speaks about us as though we were still dead and guilty in our sins. Rather than forgiven and declared righteous in Christ. Are you struggling with the condemning voice of Satan? I'm not mom enough. Here's another condemning voice of Satan. All you're aware of is what you're not doing right as a mom or a dad or a husband and wife. And, but meanwhile, do you notice? You're not. <laughs> we're noticing all that we're falling short in and deficient in. And we're not noticing all the grace God has given us to love and persevere and keep going and keep not giving up and all of these things. Because we're not, I hope, I hope you don't have this little thing like, I did good there, God, didn't I? I did good. We're not remembering those things. We're just, we're very mindful of where we fall short. And Satan loves to paralyze our eyesight there. Just to freeze our eyes upon how we've fallen or failed. 
And Jesus says, keep them from the evil one, Lord. Keep them from believing his lies and his condemning accusations. And then he says, protect them from a world that will hate them like it hated me. So if you, if, I think, I think um, our friend from Asia has said this to us when he's been here to preach. He says, listen, if you're going to pray for me, don't pray that God keep us from persecution. <laughs> Did I hear him right? Did he say, God, don't pray, don't pray for us to be protected from persecution. Pray for us to shine a light in the persecution. Pray for us to keep believing that God is faithful in the persecution. Pray for us to know that his loving kindness is better than life. And if we die, may we die as bright lights for the glory of Jesus. And so even when he's talking about, Lord, the world will hate them the way it hates me. But I've prayed for them. I've given them your word. And the world has hated them because I've given them your word. So here's what I'm praying. Lord, help them to not compromise their faith because of the fear of what people can do to them. Or the fear of being rejected by people or being enslaved to the approval of people. Keep them from those things. Jesus is praying for those of us who struggle with the fear of man, isn't it great that Jesus is praying for us? I'm so encouraged by that. Because sometimes it's easy to feel like it's all on me. The, I just need to do better. How do I quit being such a slave to people's approval? Oh, Jesus, you're praying about that? Thank you. Nice to know that we're in partnership here. Then Jesus goes to the second, the second thing he prays for is our sanctification. But we need to even clarify that. That's the word that is used here. Sanctified in our, in our normal understanding of it means to progressively grow to be more like Christ in character and in mission. And Jesus was already praying for our growth in Christ's character when he prayed that we would be kept in God's name. That our character would be kept in accordance with his character. That we would be progressively becoming more like Jesus in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. He's already praying for that. But this is a different, different, different expression here. This word sanctify here means to, Lord, may they be set apart as holy. May they, and even more importantly, may they understand that being saved means to be set apart as holy. To be set apart for sacred service. The, at the youth retreat this year, we, we, uh, it was on the holiness of God. Not too many youth retreats preach on the holiness of God, sadly. And I'm so glad that Philip Estrada had just the heart and the vision that this is something that, this, for such a time as this, our young people and our parents need to be reinvigorated about the doctrine of holiness. God's holiness and our holiness. And we unpacked Isaiah 6 to the kids. And, and we used a phrase to them that said this, we exist, see if you guys remember, you guys are good. Pastor Ray, that was like 17,000 years ago. But do you remember, we said, you exist for sacred service. So is that when you wake up, is that what you're first thinking? Yeah. I exist for sacred service. I exist for coffee when I get up. I exist, you know, but it's just, and again, the Lord meets us where we are, Right. 
But this is a part of the responsibility of the gathered people of God underneath the preaching of the word of God. My brothers and sisters, we exist for sacred service. And when we are most miserable, it's because the life we're living is inconsistent with what we were made for. So I want you to think of the, the tabernacle or the temple of old, and there were the vessels of gold and silver, just all these different ladles and vessels and things. And you've heard that if you watch any kind of football or sports center and things like that, not the most redemptive way to spend your time, but it's a guilty pleasure for me. And, and so they do this one thing called, you had one job. Anybody? <laughs> you had one job, right? And they typically show bloopers of how the guy just had one job and he couldn't even do the one job. We really could say that as holy people of God, we have one job. We have one job. We're born again. And we exist for sacred service. As much as the instruments in the temple, they only had one purpose, to bring honor to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's why he saved us. He makes us holy. He sets us apart. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. Sanctify them by the truth. Set them apart for sacred service through God's word. That in the word, they would know God. They would know their identity in God. And they would know their mission from God. But in setting us apart from the world, Jesus is not praying for God to take us out of the world. And Julia last week, Julia Gaston last week, she was, wasn't she the superstar of the kids' sermon last week? She was such a, she was such a picture of this. In setting us apart from the world for sacred service, he's not praying for God to take us out of the world. He's actually praying, keep my people from having an escapist mentality. Escapism. Escapism doesn't look today like it looked centuries ago. It's not becoming a monk on a mountain today. None of us think that. You know what escapism looks like today? It's enslavement to social media. I don't know that there's a bigger escapism that's going on in, in infiltrating the church and, and really diminishing our passion for God and our love for one another. He's not calling us to be isolated. There's no more better way to be isolated. You, could, you know, it happens to us in public. We can be in public, but be totally isolated. Not any, in any sense sent into the word. We're isolated on, on our news feed. It's just so easy to do that. We're called to be in the world, not of the world. I don't know if anybody's ever read Rebecca, uh, I don't know if she pronounces it Pipert or Pippert. It's called Out of, the, Out of the Salt Shaker. It's a really good book on evangelism. And she says, you know, too often it seems like in the, in the church of the United States that the only contact we have with the world is when we're, we're going from, okay, it's 1030 to 12 on a Sunday morning or 1205, depending on who's preaching. And, and, and so here we are and okay, we're, we're here. Okay, now we got to be in the world. So we run over to here. We go home. And the only contact we had in the world was running through it. And then we run to discipleship group. I'm going to really regret all this. <laughs> we run to discipleship group. And then our, that's our only contact. And when we're in the world, 
Oh, I'm going to wait in line. We're in the world. Talk to someone. Care for someone. Do you know how, how oh my goodness, um, hush up, Billy. Just, I'm, well, I'm not going to hush up. I still have to finish the sermon. Um, but I'm not, I don't want, it's, this isn't a soapbox. It's, 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 it, he, he's, he's taken us out of the world to send us back into the world. Not isolation, not assimilation. This is an aged, an aged illustration, but Star Trek, anybody Star Trek fans? Old Star Trek, James Kirk Star Trek. Do you remember the, that thing, the Borg? <laughs> Two people are going, yeah, I love that episode. The rest of you are going, I don't know about the Borg, Billy, but I'm bored. If, if you want to tell me, the Borg was this enemy. And their plot was they would come. And I don't know if you remember, they would put their hands on your head. And they would assimilate you. They all had the same mind under this same evil ruler or something to that effect. We're not to be isolated. We're not to be assimilated. We're to be on mission. So Jesus asked us to ask the Lord, keep them from worldliness by keeping them in holiness. Keep them remembering that we exist for sacred service. Even as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world with the same character qualities, the same heart to sacrifice, the same love that I've given to, that you've given to me and I've given to them, and the same purpose. Send them into the world for this purpose. In a very real way, you could say this, this is in your notes. Jesus left the world to win the world through the spirit-empowered witness of his people. I just don't know that we're thinking about that. He actually left the world, sent his spirit to win the world through his people. He says, sanctify them by truth. It's not just that we know right from wrong. It's that the truth is transforming us to be more like them. And then in verse 19, he, he uses himself, and this, it's the same word as sanctify. He's for their sake, I consecrate myself. Jesus is saying that I am the example. I have one job, Jesus could say. And that is to save sinners for the glory of God. And the godly good and joy that will come to them. And he uses his life as an example that is of, of one that is exclusively set apart for God's use. And based on his example, we follow in his footsteps. It's very similar. Isn't that what we want for our kids, parents? I don't, I don't, I, I'm so grieved when I, oh, there's so many things. I remember the, the stuff I didn't do well. And, oh, man, kids have a radar for hypocrisy. I may, maybe all of us do, but kids, man, they watch dad and mom. And if they don't see dad and mom living for sacred service, but dad and mom say, well, you need to live for sacred service. That's a big disconnect there. Robert Murray McShane, it's the same with a past with elders in the church, church leaders. Robert Murray McShane um, was said to have said this, that the best gift a pastor can give to his people is his own holiness his own example of what Christ can do by his grace. Then Jesus prays for our joy. He says this joy, this joy is really the fruit of everything else he's praying about. 
So we should count it all joy that the Spirit is present in us, that the truth has been given to us, that God is protecting our faith, that God is sanctifying us in the character and in the mission of Christ, that Christ overcame the world, the devil, sin, death, and judgment, that God loves us with the very same love that he has for Jesus. This is contented satisfaction. I, I wish I knew how to describe joy. I'm, this is a, just an effort, just a falling short effort. Contented satisfaction in all that God is for us in Christ. I would say that's at least a halfway decent definition of joy. Contented satisfaction in all that God is for us in Christ Jesus and contented satisfaction in living for what he made me for. I think that's the joy that he's speaking about here. But beyond all those things, he prays for unity. And that's our last point this morning. And it's actually our unity that is the key component, really. Did you know God wants to use a unified church to keep us believing? Do you know that, keep, that, that continuing to believe is not just between you and God? Did you know that God's given you a family, a church family, to help you keep believing? How many of us have experienced directly God's grace to keep believing because of the people he's put in our lives? So that's part of it. Living for sacred service. How many of us get pulled back into remembering, oh, my identity in Christ and why I exist? And, and it's because of the unity of the church. How many of us have experienced joy, not because we just stay in isolation, but because we gather with the people of God and our eyes are lifted regularly to behold his smiling face for us in Jesus Christ. Unity is an important thing, but there's another element here that Jesus brings into play. And it's, it'd be easy at this point. Our, our leadership development group is being so blessed by Pastor Alan. Alan is is doing a preaching practicum for us. And I'm in need of it more as much as any of the guys. And yeah, yeah, expositional preaching. See, it'd be easy at this point for me to just kind of go off the track here and just preach a to on a topical sermon on unity. You've heard, you've heard probably pretty many topical sermons on unity that really weren't rooted in a text. And expo expositional preaching really asks us to focus on the truths that this text is communicating, certainly in the broader context of the passage, which is connected to the broader context of Scripture. But if we look at it this way, if we restrict ourselves, what is God communicating through this prayer? This is what we would find. That Jesus gives us the ground for unity and the goal of unity. Another way to put it, Jesus gives us the object of unity and the objective of unity. Jesus gives us the foundation for unity and the ambition for unity. However, whatever most floats your boat and resonates with your heart there. Verse 20, who is he praying for? Well, here, he's not praying for the 11 anymore, but for all who would believe in Jesus because of the word that was written down by them and the word that was preached by them as apostles of Christ. So I would just say this. Did you know your name is in verse 20? Your name is there. Have you come to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? Isn't that? He's, that's me. <laughs> that's me. I'm, I'm, I've come to believe because of the word of the apostles. I've come to believe. 
Isn't it a cool thing that he's praying for Sovereign Grace Church of Midland? It's just so good. Verse 21, what is he praying for? That they be in us. That they be one, us, that we be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be in us. And this is so important to Christ that it's in a bunch of verses. We, we start in verse 11. It's in verse 21, verse 22, and verse 23. You think it's, you think it's weighing on his heart, the unity of his people. You bet it is. And do we want the unity as much as Jesus wants it? Are we praying for it as regularly as Jesus prays for it? So let's talk about that. What kind of unity? Well, it's the unity that the Father and Son have. So it'd be so easy to go looking for earthly illustrations of unity. That's not what the text does. And that's the problem with the topical, potential topical sermon on unity. Jesus is rooting unity in an out-of-this-world illustration, not an of-this-world illustration. It's the unity of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And he, and he speaks in this kind of language. So it's, it's not just the reference point for unity. Then it's, there's a reality of that unity already being given to us and blessing us. And he keeps using these words, in you, in me, in us. So that's the language of union. Whenever you, I just, don't rush by those short little snippets. In Christ, in the beloved, in him. What is that saying? It's union. We're vitally and literally connected to Jesus. Baptism is a picture of the union. When, when the baptizee, <laughs> oh, pray for me. When the person being baptized they go into that water and they come out soaked and there is a union. There was water and the person and now you can't tell where the water ends and the shirt begins because they have become one. Communion. We take the wafer and the, and the cup, the, the juice, and, and it becomes one with us in our system. The vine and the branches that Jesus has talked about. There's a union and we're not only united to Christ as individuals, but also united to Christ as a body. That's what I, you know, I don't know. Maybe we need to change this. You know, COVID made us go to the cups, the, the her, hermetically sealed. What does hermetically mean anyway? But hermetically sealed cups so that you'd be assured that I didn't cough on it when it was being made, you know. And um, you know what's so sad about that is it was one loaf, right? that all the pieces of bread came from, it was a very vivid illustration that, that there's a union, there's a union that I'm experiencing with my piece of bread, but my piece of bread is not just a personalized piece of bread. It's a part of the body of bread. It's his body. We are one in him. We're united to Christ as individuals, yes, but we're also united to Christ as a body is to its head, as a temple is to its cornerstone. The basis of our unity is our union with Christ. So there's the foundation. There's the objective. There's the ground. That's the foundation of our unity. It's our union with Christ. That's the foundation. 
a union with Christ and his union with God and God's union with him dictates how we're to understand unity and how we're to pursue and protect and preserve unity. We don't create unity. God gives the unity to us in salvation. Because it's the same Christ who indwells all of his people. The same spirit who indwells all of his people. He gives us the unity. It's our job to cultivate it and protect it and preserve it. And that's going to be our closing verse for the morning. You'll see that in a minute. Precious ones, our unity as a church will grow not because we're seeking unity. And that's the problem, I think, of a thematic message on unity that is disengaged from the, out the flow of Scripture. Our unity will grow not as we seek unity. Our unity will grow as we seek Jesus. That's how our unity will grow. Our experience of unity is the fruit of our union with him. This is Tozer. This is so good. Some of you guys may have seen it. It's in your notes. Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other. They are of one accord by being tuned, not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers meet together, each one looking to Christ. They are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. I can do this as a husband. I, can, I know I did this as a dad. I probably do this to you as a pastor. That sometimes the standard for unity is not Jesus and his gospel. The standard for Jesus is what I think. The standard for unity is my preference. The standard for unity is my personality. The standard for unity is how I school my kids versus how you school your kids. Oh, it's no wonder the church gets so divided about those things. I mean, think about it. Think of the most recent uh, intense fellowship moment between husband and wife. Because we don't fight, right? We don't fight in this church. We just have intense fellowship. And, and so there's this, but uh, chances are, you weren't tuning your hearts to the tuning fork of the gospel. You were tuning your hearts because they had to tune according to your standard. The, the, my spouse had to tune themselves to what I think is right. How many times do we do that as people of God? We're not tuning ourselves by the standard of Christ and his gospel and his name and his word and his mission and his character. We're tuning ourselves to whether we're hymn seekers or contemporary worship singers. Is it just so, it's just idiotic. No, I'm sorry. I shouldn't use it. It's spiritually idiotic. Does that make it any better? I don't know if that makes it any better. In premarital counseling, I, you know, you've heard this. Other people say I didn't make it up. But we'd, we give the couple the little triangle. And at the point of the top of the triangle is Jesus. And over here is the husband. And over here is the wife. And we talk about where are they not in unity? Where, where do they not have fellowship with each other? Where are, where are they distanced from each other? Where are they aggravating each other? And the chances are, and, and are they working on it? And a lot of times people say, we've tried, pastor. We've tried to get closer together. It ain't going to happen. We're just, what do they call it in divorce papers? Uh, irreconcilable differences. That's us, pastor. 
Well, yeah, of course. If your only way of trying to have unity is looking at each other and being aggravated at how the other person's not tuning their hearts to your tune, and, and, it, and you're not making any progress. But isn't it amazing if your commitment is to grow in Christ and her commitment is to grow in Christ? Well, look at what happens in proximity. The closer both of you get to Christ, the closer you both get to each other. That's the unity that Jesus is praying for. The ground, the object of uh, the foundation of our unity is our union with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. What's the goal? We saw the goal, and that's where you, be, as you're reading your Bible, be looking for phrases that say, so that. So, so here's the ground of unity. It's our union with Jesus. What's the goal of the unity? So that the world may believe that you've sent me. That's verse 21. When the world sees our unity with Christ, our unity in Christ is caused by our union with Christ, a union and unity that's filled with love and fellowship and glory in the enjoyment of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, a love and a unity that is outside this world, that is broken into this world in the person of Christ they will see that only God and Jesus could bring about a love-drenched, grace-motivated, spirit-empowered unity regardless of your race. God, make our church family a foreshadowing of heaven. Please bring into Sovereign Grace Church people from every ethnicity that's in Midland. Please, God, make us look a little bit like a preview of heaven here. That a unity with, amongst all those ethnicities and races, regardless of your age, from old to young. That means all, older people need to be praying, dear God, I'm older, and I think I've just kind of grown away from a heart for the next generation. Please, God, I want to have a heart for the next generation. It may not be my primary focus of ministry. And I, as a young person, I want, to, I want to serve the Lord as an eight-year-old in our church. And I want to be a blessing to the older people of our church. And regardless of your income, education, or lack of education, regardless of male or female, Jesus gives us a unity in him that is to be experienced amongst us. Only God can do something like that. Our unity in Christ empowers our witness for Christ. So I want you to ask yourself, so moms and dads, let's start there. Let's start in marriage. Do you see how important your unity is as a Christian man and a Christian woman in communicating the gospel to your kids. There's a power. There's a power in working through your problems, in reconciling the way you've been reconciled by God to Christ, in forgiving each other the way Christ has forgiven you. You may have spent the last five years arguing. You spend five minutes in repentance and forgiveness and confession, and you watch what happens to your kids. You watch what happens to your kids. Why? I'm not saying it. God's word says it, that they may be one so that the world may know you sent me. It's powerful, isn't it? I, God, for, God, keep us from ever again praying, oh God, make us more evangelistic, give us souls, give us this, give us that, without praying, oh and God, grow our unity in Christ. Grow our unity as a husband and wife. 
Grow our unity as a small group, as a discipleship group. Grow our unity as, as, as children's ministry workers. Grow our unity as worship team members. God, grow our unity so that when people come in here, they, they don't see, they see diversity that are gathered around the one Savior, Jesus Christ. Thomas Manton put it this way, divisions in the church breed atheism in the world. Unity is a powerful force. It's a powerful force. Eric, go ahead and come on up and bring the team up. Um, <laughs> you know, there were lines in Charlie Brown that just have such great implications for sermon illustrations. Here's the power of unity. So it's a silly kind of thing, but you'll, you'll see where I'm going. So Lucy walks into the room, Linus is watching TV, and she demands him to change the channel. She orders him, change the channel. And so Linus says, who made you the boss of me? Right? <laughs> we used to say that all the time as kids. Who made you the boss of me? She says, I have an organization of five. And she puts up her hand. One, two, three, four, five. Little brother, they're not much by themselves. But when they come together, I'm the boss of you. It's a force to be reconciled. And then the thing ends, he leaves the room and he's looking at his hand and he says, how come you guys can't get together like that? <laughs> but think of it, guys. Think of a snowflake. There's, oh, what a pretty snowflake. But it's not changing the world. Snowstorms change the world. It's amazing when these little fragile individual pieces, when they get together for a common purpose, <laughs> We don't, we, don't, we don't leave our, our houses. And in Midland, that means like an inch of snow. Oh, wow, we can't go anywhere. The redwoods, the redwoods. Let's have some fun with this. Let's have some fun with this. David, Robin, can you help me? Is it, can you stand up okay? Okay. She just had a little surgical uh, procedure. Come on, the three of us, let's get up here. We're three redwoods, right? And you know how giant redwoods are, just gigantic. And it's amazing how big they are. It's the wrong people. If you want giants. But this is the people of faith. I know this is really not the right deal. We should have gotten the tall people. But, um, but we're pretending. And so it's, it's easy to think, wow, as big and tall as the redwood is, their root system must be the same. But from what, I'm under, what I've been told is the root system is pretty shallow. And a strong wind could knock one of those things over. But they've stood for, what, hundreds of years? The reason they keep standing is because their root system is intertwined. They don't blow down because they're entwined with one another. There's a unity that keeps them standing. And you know what, I, what breaks my heart for the church is this, this is supposed to be a picture of the body of Christ. Are you not going to connect your roots, Star Wars? Oh, sorry. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I, can, I can tease you like that, right? Not a touchy-feely I, <laughs> I know. Oh, this must be torturing you. <clears throat> We're just going to stay a minute longer then. Um, <clears throat> but see, this is, I mean, this is what Jesus is praying for, isn't it? Mm. That our union with Jesus is the foundation of our unity together. Because if we don't, if we just go ahead and say, I'm tired, man, you, your root system offended me. <laughs> So I'm just going to live like this. And how many, how many people who confess Jesus, they're not growing in their faith. They're not growing in their joy. They don't, they've drifted so far from believing they've been called for sacred service 
They're not experiencing God's protection. God is very gracious and protecting, but they're not experiencing it. They're worried about everything else in the world except his glory. And, and why? Because there's no connection. There's no practical connection with the body of Christ. You know, thank you guys. So I'll just ask you this this morning. I think it'd be remiss if I didn't at least point out what, what are some unity killers that might be lurking in your heart or maybe ruling your heart? There's just a little list here. Jealousy, pride, selfish ambition, sinful comparison, bitterness, unforgiveness, Gossip. The Lord nailed me on this one because I was thinking, I don't think I'm gossiping too much. <laughs> what a standard. I, I don't think I've been gossiping too much. Like, oh, oh, well, just once a week is okay. And the Lord just really, I really felt the Holy Spirit nudging me to say, you may not be, it may not be coming out your physical lips. He, but he said, you know that ongoing conversation you have with yourself? You gossip all the time just in your own thoughts about people. How about self-righteousness? Unloving judgment. Defensiveness. How about drifting from the authority and sufficiency of Scripture and instead being ruled by your hurt feelings? How about not hiding God's word in our hearts so that we might not sin against him? How about secretly being happy about someone else's failure? How about wishing someone would leave the church? How about a trend of broken relationships that if you look at the last 10 years of your life, it, there's a trend. That this has just been this ongoing trend of broken relationships in your life. And, and, and we keep blaming other people, but maybe is God wanting to do something in our own hearts? We hinder the experience of unity either through attacking or, and I just really want to be careful here because, guys, you don't, when I go home, Jan has to call me out. I, get, I, I can go home and I don't want to leave. I get buried under with my own self-doubts and insecurities and fears and worries and laziness and apathy and, and all those kind of things. Did you know that withdrawing from the body of Christ hinders unity as much as attacking somebody in the body of Christ? Do you know that? Your withdrawal in your heart from your spouse, it's, it's hindering unity. You may think that you're, it's some, you're just being noble. It's withdrawing, it's hurting the unity, and it's hurting your fellowship with the Lord and with other people. How are we doing in marriages, in our families, in our discipleship groups, in our ministry teams, in the church? How are you doing with pastors and leaders in our church? How about former church members? How are we doing with former church members? Do we get a pass then that maybe we're fellowshipping in different places now, but, but so that means that we can have an ongoing resentment? Have we, have we allowed ourselves to think of a, of a unity that where it's acceptable to have a few people in your life that you have resentment toward? I don't have too much of it. Just that, that much is poison, isn't it? Let's stand. 
The, the Apostle Paul gives us a great word in Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm just going to read it over us as we sing. Because remember, we can't create unity, but we are called to protect it and preserve what's there. How? By seeking Christ. And then existing for sacred service, serving others, not withdrawing, not attacking. So listen to what Paul says here, and it's going to lead right into our song. I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Because there is one body and one spirit, just as you are called into the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. You guys, let's let this closing song express an eagerness in our hearts to pursue unity, to protect unity, to grow in unity. And if we failed, let's let unity prevail through confession of sin to each other and forgiveness toward one another and patience with each other. Oh, let's sing. Let's sing of our eagerness to follow the one Lord through the one gospel, right? Amen. <laughs>